saints. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you, for its welfare is your welfare. In general, looking back on my life, I can find a pretty solid correlation between the strength of the relationships I've had and the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. And in the weaving and the rooting of all of that, God has taken care of us. Let's start with the stewardship moment, shall we? For the last 10 years of my life, I've paid $715 a month in student loans. For those fellow mathematically challenged folks, that's almost $86,000. And because of the pay I received at First Presbyterian Church of Defiance and Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church, as of January, we are no longer under the thumb of the student loan industrial complex. We no longer feel as if we are in financial or relational exile. We tried our best to seek the welfare of this church, of this community, of this city. And somehow in that we have received grace upon grace through Christ's fingers, through your love. Thank you. In times where we had to pray, precious Jesus, we, mom and dad, with small children, we are tired, we are weary, we are worn. Precious Jesus took our hand in the form of your support, your prayers, your kind words, even when my sermons stank like dirty clothes from a mission trip. You provided me with a great boss I will be eternally grateful for, an amazing team to work with. We realized that youth group as a program paradigm wasn't working anymore, so we went on retreat after retreat, where more bags of stinky mission trip clothes could be gathered. And in campgrounds and trailer homes, we built relationships, and then you gave me the time off to recover afterwards. Together, we've tried trivia nights, big room Sunday school, new ways of administering our mission in more bold, bold ways, 50-year member recognitions in all sorts of forms, pastoral care. Together, we have sought the welfare of the saints here, and we have thrived. In an era where church engagement is decreasing by about 9% on average year after year, we at CCPC have been handily beating those numbers. We have sought the welfare of the city, and because of that, or despite us, or by happenstance, we have been blessed, or at least we have been left with an attitude of hashtag gratitude. Jeremiah reminds us of some bad news, though. He sent this letter to the many illustrious names that Alex nailed right now. These were names that they were exiled in Babylon already, before the larger exile in 586, because this group was the first wave. The first wave of exiles from Israel. 
This was the cream of the crop taken off the top. This was a common tool of empire to take away the best leaders, the Kardashians and celebrities, the best artisans, to remove the cultural forces as the first act of Nebuchadnezzar's spoils of war, to keep the Israelites in their place, and to keep enough of an infrastructure such that the community they spoiled could continue to pay tribute. Now, some prophets wrote to those exiles. Remember, these are the financial and power elites that's nice to keep as your friends. And some prophets wrote to those folks and said, in the same way that we did at the beginning of the pandemic, don't get too settled there in Babylon. This problem is going to be gone in a flash, no more than a month or two. You've already suffered enough. You don't need to sacrifice any more to give up anything of your own. This will all be cleaned up in a flash. Leaders in Israel kept chest beating about the return of the monarchy to normal. Certainly it wouldn't happen in any more than crazy two years. But Jeremiah was listening to God and doing a little back of the napkin math. He had a different number, 70. 70 years is not one lifetime like it is for us today. No, that's generations for a people who at that time had an average age of death somewhere in the late 30s and early 40s. This was not good news to receive from Jeremiah. But into that milieu of uncertainty and doubt and frustration and anguish and pain and inevitable unknowing, God proclaimed this command. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Scholar Richard Nassi calls this an inherent benediction. It was the ending of one phase of this group of Israelites' lives. But also, of course, as we receive benedictions in church, a blessing into the next stage. Nassi says, to be commanded to build houses, to plant gardens, to raise children, to seek the welfare of the city which God has sent them into exile, is to be blessed in the midst of punishment. The exiles are given a vocation as they await the attention or visit of divine deliverance. And here's the key. Accepting this vocation is a rejection of the false hope of the rebellious voices back in Jerusalem and present among them in exile. Voices which promised a quick restoration of greatness. Voices which promise a quick restoration of greatness. Hope you all heard that. Because part of our calling now, as Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church, 
as a community of followers of Jesus, is to deny false hope and to work with God in the long-term restoration plan for creation. Now, there are two things that run constant in government and government powers across time and space. Most of you can probably guess the first thing, taxes. But the second one that we don't think about as much, unless we're in the context of this scripture reading, is the government's proclamation of an undying, unwavering belief that things are actually better than they seem to the people in the polis. God called out to the exiles to stop pretending that their problems weren't problems or that a quick fix could save them. But instead, God said to create as much stability as they could for their people, to play the long game that's called faith, to seek the thriving of everyone around them, not just the elites in their neighborhoods. That in that thriving, to fulfill the words that God gave to Abraham, when God said, I have blessed you so that you could be a blessing to the nations, blessed to be a blessing. Christians are called to deny the fragrances of propaganda and to instead invest in that long-term health for their community, the whole community, not just the elites whom if you've been paying attention to scripture today, were coincidentally the ones that God first pulled out to exile into Babylon. Now, I am so very proud that as we speak, our Mission Advisory Council is working on a paradigm for how CCPC can be actively involved in the reshaping of our polis with our hearts, our minds, our feet, with letters and with phone calls by showing up. I'm so very proud that I have been in any way associated with TAP as it's kept up its important work of plugging the whole of our civil infrastructure so that everyone can receive the intentions of our social contract. I am so very proud that instead of turning our eyes from the problem of racism and the quick fixes that have been proclaimed by so many, that instead, our inclusion and racial justice review team is hard at work conducting an audit of our past and our present. Because racism is not a problem healed with Band-Aids, but with God's aid. Not with shame, but with curiosity. A problem only solved when each one of us looks around and with a level head says, our community is great. But who is missing from the party? And why? How did we get here? And how can we re help repair the damage that's been done? You will honor me. And I will know whether CCPC has taken seriously this call to make a more beloved, inclusive community. When I visit you in a decade or two, and I witness as many blue collar workers, as many people of color walking down Connecticut on Saturday, and sitting in worship on Sunday, as I see in the subway on a Monday, the subway food store. My friends, you are on this journey towards affordable housing and inclusive practices, and I pray to God for the courage that you will stay the course 
and not to settle for quick fixes professed by powers obsessed with public image. Now, I have believed so very firmly in my life that God does not cause the pain and evil in this world, although Jeremiah certainly suggests that God caused the Israelites' exile. But I will proclaim to my dying days, along with Jeremiah, that God is actively making beautiful things out of the dust of our work. God makes beautiful things out of the dust. Pastor Alphanetta Wines reminds us that what came out of the Babylonian exile was world-changing for the faith that we practice. What was once before a temple religion with only one place to worship God in Jerusalem, that changed with the exile. Synagogues became a vital part of the community as Israel wrestled with God and with questions and learned that worship could happen anywhere, not just in one structure. Additionally, much of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, those were all formed and written down during this period of exile. Without the exile, would any of this have happened? What seems to be clear from the scholarship is that with the sacrifice of the exile came a movement that allowed God's people to thrive in every corner of the globe wherever God sent them. My friends, as white mainline Protestant Christians, the piece of our religion that we most like to throw under the rug and to spend the least amount of time thinking about is the cost to those who seek justice. The cost, which is sacrifice. Now for Jesus, it cost him his life. It need not for us. And many of these discussions about affordable housing and creating more inclusive communities, you're hearing people get up in arms about the cost to possible personal safety and crime, the cost to home values in a neighborhood where nothing costs less than a million bucks. Seeking the welfare of the city requires sacrifice. Sacrifice of our money, sacrifice of our time. Seeking the welfare of anyone requires sacrifice. And I want to make sure that you leave with one story about one person who has thrived because of the sacrifice of others. I was born smack dab in the middle of Kansas to an Iowa farm girl and a blue collar boy from the suburbs of Jersey. They had chosen to plant themselves there to increase in this not too strange and ultimately welcoming small town of Lyons. They struggled to afford housing, but they struck up a deal with the local Presbyterian church whose pastor didn't want to live in the church house, the manse, which is where I spent the first five years of my life. Because at their age, they were happy to have a child at all. And as the Babylonians sent people at will, my father's company relocated this family of three to the exurbs of Chicago. In Joliet, Illinois, in my neighborhood that was majority black, I biked around the neighborhood like a boss, playing baseball in the street with tennis balls, 
shooting hoops in the driveway of friends, all while pretending to be Luke Longley from the then thriving Chicago Bulls. This was a foreign land to us. But we were blessed by those in our community. And there was a distinct choice by my parents to plant roots and to seek that city's welfare because we knew that our neighborhoods thriving would mean our own. A Catholic neighbor heard we were Presbyterian and led us to Westminster Presbyterian Church, a church of blue collar workers and teachers and retirees and a whole slew of other people, exurb, purple exurb people. And there in that moderate place, I was taught that God loves me unconditionally and that my status before God wasn't reliant on anything I did or anything I said, but relied solely on what God has done for me in Jesus. Time and time again, I experienced the Holy Spirit and examples of that magnificent love in the eyes of Marilyn, who listened to all my childhood stories. In the hands of Peggy, who gave everything out of her poverty so that I could afford to go on mission trips. In the wisdom of my pastor, Bill. In the ears of so many saints who entertained my pontificating during coffee hour after church, which is almost always an hour-long event for my family. But we needed to plant roots, too, and to connect. My mother served on pastor nominating committees and sessions. I ended up on the deacons and the session. And this intertwining, this seeking of relationships, God provided things to me, to this church. It's a church that grew in number, grew in spirit. Our youth group thrived. And on one of those mission trips, I decided to have Jesus come into my heart. This is only later, of course, I realized that Jesus was only there, always there. And it was just at that moment that I had realized it. Now, upon returning from one of those mission trips, church friends put me and my stinky mission trip stuff into a car, took me to the hospital, telling me that my father's kidneys had shut down. He started an eight-year decline with three-day-a-week dialysis, rapid and powerful neuropathy that led to him breaking his ankles into graham cracker crusts and not even feeling it. But this is where the story of sacrifice most radically hits me. As the forces of my father's body continued to decline, the power of the Holy Spirit showed up through the men's group at Westminster Presbyterian Church, who within days had come and built a wheelchair ramp on the front of our 800-square-foot home. Just as they say about Jesus's followers on the way to Emmaus, it was that day that my eyes were opened and I recognized what the hands and feet of Jesus looked like. And I dedicated myself to making sure that others could experience and could see the work of God through that back and forth of mutual relationship and sacrifice and giving and love found in the followers of the way of Jesus. Even while surviving on Social Security, 
God opened a way to college into a new, strange new land called white evangelicalism. God put in my path professors and people who compelled me to apply to Princeton. During that application process, I met this amazing woman, much smarter and harder working than me, who compelled me to keep working hard for the sake of the kingdom, who sacrificed her time to edit many of my papers as my grades went up. She was at my side a month after graduation when my father died. She was at my side when I proposed that fall in Central Park for two years in seminary. And while at this point in our life, we were scattered and back and forth and moved apartments all over the place, it was clear that God's commands from the mouth of Jeremiah to take wives, and to have children, didn't apply just when we felt settled. For four years, I ministered to the people of Defiance, Ohio. We sought roots. We grew children. We wove our relationships into the fabric of the community. We served on boards like United Way. Ellen helped bring forth the first public transportation assistance program in the county's history. We did our best to seek the welfare of the city and to thrive in a foreign land. But we realized that we would fit better in a place of mutts, urban areas where people generally came from multiple geographies. And from the first call with Bill Hoffman, I knew that I was coming to Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church. The how quickly became a problem. We were a family of five trying to find a place to live near Chevy Chase. And God provided a way through the affordable housing program in Montgomery County to which this church and my family shall be forever grateful. We made roots. We connected with the Spring Road playground day after day. We made friends at happy hour every day on Arthur Avenue during the pandemic. And this realization compels me to compel you to listen to the call of the prophet Jeremiah. Because here we are at the next part of the story. A stage that is not yet written. A new chapter in my life, a new chapter in yours. But CCPC, where Christ is our center, where children are a blessing, where justice is our passing, has never been the pastors. It's been the incredible spirit working through the amazing people that you are because you have listened to God. You are listening. And I have such great, tremendous faith that you will continue to open your hearts to the work of Jesus the Christ, the power of God our creator, of the Holy Spirit, guiding you, keeping you, leading you into ever bold new ways to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, despite our mistakes, despite our problems and our unmutes and our frustrations, God has been faithful. I am here because of the sacrifices that have been made by so many, including you. You will thrive because of the sacrifices that God has made for you in Christ. 
we will thrive because God keeps giving. May we be so wise to seek the welfare of our city with hands wide open. For in that receiving, that seeking of prosperity for ourselves, we will find that in finding prosperity for our neighbors, all of them, God will be faithful still. Thanks be to God for the faithfulness of Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church. And thank you. Amen.